I have a standing order of prednisone, but I don't take it. And he, you know, my roommate asked me, you know, are you taking the prednisone? And I'll say, no. And he'll say, well, why? And, you know, I say, well, for one, I don't really, my pain is not such that I need to take it and I don't want to get hooked on it. So if I don't need it, I mean, I appreciate that I have it. But again, the pain of discipline far outweighs the pain of regret. So I just don't want to go there. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Welcome back to rheumatoidsolutions.com, where we interview people who've had tremendous success with their lifestyle interventions, with their inflammatory arthritis, and we discuss ways in which you too might be able to improve your approach and work with your doctor, with others inside our support group, with your family, and how you can transform your body to get better health and less symptoms. Today's guest is Brenda. She's in Memphis, Tennessee, and she's going to talk about how she has made tremendous improvements by going cold turkey off of the previous way she used to eat and now being in a position of vastly improved state with her inflammatory arthritis. And so, Brenda, welcome to this episode. All right. Great. Thank you. Good to be here. It's wonderful to be able to share. And we've been having a laugh about Memphis and people when they're coming to, to, to visit your city to celebrate Elvis's birthday and so on. But we're going to talk about your health today. Um, okay. And can you tell us what, what was sort of the before state uh, where you had symptoms and how are your symptoms right now? Um, before stay, I was really tired all the time. I had um, pain in my finger joints, my wrist, my ankles, my knees, and um, oftentimes somewhat my back. But just the overarching heaviness and the pain of my joints, sometimes it, it was just difficult to get through a day. Um, I can remember times, I mean, I like to do, well, I started doing yoga because of it. And um, I can remember times where I just had to crawl to the television just to put the, put the, yeah, just to put the yoga DVD in just to try to get some kind of relief. I mean, I literally couldn't get up to walk. That's just how excruciating the pain was. However, um, before the uh, Madison plan, you know, I was eating everything. You know, I was a coffee holic. I loved coffee. You know, when I started drinking coffee, I mean, it was, it was so, you know, it was so thin you could see through it. And over the years, it just looked like motor oil. I mean, I could just drink it like, you know, and then of course, sugar and then lots of dairy and had no idea. I mean, I just didn't have any idea what those type of foods was contributing to my pain. So I went to see uh, my back doctor, actually, and he took blood work and he's like, you know, your inflammation factor is pretty high. I want you to see, you know, another doctor. I had no clue, just 
And I went to see a rheumatologist and uh, he said, yeah, you have, you have rheumatoid arthritis. And I think the hardest part for me at that point was number one, accepting that I had it. That was like major. And it seemed like it just spiraled me even deeper into a depression because I'm like, oh my God, what is this? How do I treat it? What do I need to do? You know, and it it just made me even all the more painful. I just went into a depression. My joints seemed to work or to hurt even worse. And then my brother actually stumbled across your website and he sent me an email and he's like, hey, you know, I think this guy might be able to help you. And that's how I found the Patterson thing. And so I clicked on it. I signed up for the program. And when I read about the coffee, I went cold turkey on coffee. I mean, the way you explain it as far as, you know, just what coffee actually does to you. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, I've been drinking coffee for, I don't know, 20 years. Not to mention I was a Splendaholic. So I'm just pouring Splenda and cream. Oh, oh, it was just so destructive. So once I read your book and I was like, you know what, that's it. I cut everything out. Prior to that, the doctor put me on hydroxychloroquine, right? Well, first he started with lufonamide. Can you just tell us like how you are now compared to oh, now then- it is. Yeah. Now, I mean, I took my last dose of um, rheumatoid arthritis medicine. I was on Humira, September the 9th. And I had to have a bone biopsy because we thought, you know, what's wrong with my, my, my white blood cell count was decreasing, my red blood cell count, you know, I was anemic, all of that. And we thought it was coming from the medication. So that was the last dose. I went to see the, you know, uh, got the bone density. And after that, the roomie said, you know, you're doing fine. Your, your levels are low. You don't have any joint pain. I didn't have any swelling. And he's like, overall, how are you feeling? I said, I feel great. I, I really feel much better without the drugs. And so he said, well, whatever you're doing is working. So I don't need to see you for six months. So I don't see him until sometime in June. I mean, I literally, today, I have no pain, none. I just don't have any pain. And I thought I would never see this day. I literally thought, oh, my God, will I ever just feel even better where, you know, my my pain is tolerable. So today, it's just fantastic. I I just, it's amazing. I never thought I I I would feel this good. The magic of the right food, the right approach, the feeling of support, because you're inside our support group and we are there for you if you you ask questions and you can find resources. One very important resource that we're going to talk about as we go through your journey here, a video from one of our doctors that was on one of the live calls, which was transformative for you to watch uh, that. And we'll talk about that when it comes to white cell count uh, in a minute. So firstly, well done, Brenda. I mean. What an extraordinary place to be in. 
um, as you said, uh, it's now uh, it's the the biologic drug is well out of your system, so you, you're not having any long tail effects from the drug. Uh, you've got no symptoms. You have rheumatoid arthritis. You previously had it in fingers, wrists, knees, um, and, and and more. Um, I mean, it just goes to show what is possible. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone's different. We all have come into this with different uh, sort of starting points, but that sure. is extraordinary. So, in this discussion, why don't we talk about some of the the, the challenges that you face before you've gotten to where you are now? Um, you you explained um, before we hit record that you've you went through plaquenil, methotrexate, then Humira. I want to hear about your experience going through that journey, starting with the plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, and then what the decision points were to change medications. Because a lot has happened in two, you know, maybe a year and a half there with the drugs. Well, um, and and I did mention the like I was about to mention the lufonamide. I started with lufonamide. And yeah, the the very first medication um, the doctor put me on was lufonamide. And I took, I was supposed to take them uh, twice a day. So the first uh, dose that I took was, I thought, I better take this on a Saturday just to kind of see, you know, I didn't want to be at work with it. Didn't know how it was going to affect me. And literally, I ended up in the ER. I started having heart heart palpitations, you know, I had pressured speech, I was shaking. And so ended up in the emergency room and just had a really bad reaction. And from that, we went to the hydroxychloroquine or plaquenil. And I was just ecstatic about that because as soon as I took it, I could just, I felt so much better. Did you have to do a cleanse to get off the leflinamide? Was there a cleanse that you had to do to clear your body from after taking the drug? No, they just um, um, told me I would have to. Well, they had me on an IV, so I guess they they kind of you know flushed, That's if it. you will, while I was in the ER. But other than that, um, no, they said it. You know, we're just going to have to let the rest of it take its course, and that was it. And I I came home. The next morning, I pulled up uh, actually Dr. McDougall's website, and I went through my kitchen. I threw out the sugar. I threw out everything, and I just I just stopped right then. And then you know I I got on your plan, and like I said, I quit the cold coffee, the coffee cold turkey. I quit the meat. I quit the dairy. You know I ran out, got the cucumbers and the celery, which is golden. Oh my God, that is, I think the highlight of every day is the celery and cucumber juice. That is amazing. That I I just, yeah, I can't say that enough. That's amazing. And so then we went from hydroxychloroquine because my labs at first, so he thought we're normal, but I couldn't take the lufonamide. I went to the hydroxychloroquine. I quit eating meat. I quit eating all of the junk. And then my labs start to go the other way. You know, they, my white blood cells started to decrease. My red blood cell was decreasing. My, I was anemic, you know, these type of things. And so at that point, um, he wanted to take me completely off of the Plaquenil because we thought that's what was causing it because those drugs do cause those things. And so we went from that to the methotrexate. Well, mind you, I'm still eating whole food plant-based now. So I'm going to, you know, methotrexate 
I get there and that just makes me feel, oh my God, 10 times worse. The fatigue was un, almost unbearable. And I, I just remember, how am I going to get through this? You know, so I told him, it's like, I just, he said, so let's try the Humira. So then we went to the Humira. Mind you, my white, my white blood cell count is still on the decrease and everything. So then I get the bone density to see if there's any other blood cancers that might be, you know, pulling, you know, my, my cell count down. And because when I went to get that done, he said, I'm going to take you off everything until we get those results back. So he did. So no Humira. That was my last dose was September the 9th and got the bone density done. I was feeling better. Everything. I just was like, oh my God, I hope he doesn't put me back on another drug because I'm feeling so much better. And so I go back and he says, well, your lab work looks really good, but I had kind of started eating like some turkey here and there. And so I remember Dr. Clapper and, you know, your interview. And I thought, it's not that my blood work is, is you know, better it's at, or worse. It's actually getting better because I don't have all those toxins from, you know, eating meat and all that other garbage. Let me stop you there because this is where it um, gets a little bit what. Um, so what we'll do now is I'm going to insert the piece of information that we had on the live call with Dr. Michael Clapper. Okay. And uh, you and I will continue our conversation. But let's just insert this so that we can uh, share with our audience here and they can keep up with our with our train of thought here. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's talk about, if you don't mind, uh, let's talk about blood tests first of all. One question just to kick us off that I am not able to answer uh, terribly well is um, how does the white cell count um, play uh, as a sort of indicator of health and what's going on? Tell, talk, talk about white cell counts and, and so forth, please. Indeed. Well... In the blood, this amazing red liquid that floats uh, flows through our body, uh, there's three main kinds of cells, red blood cells, uh, around things carry oxygen, uh, little platelets uh, clot our blood, they seal leaks in the blood vessels when they occur, and the third type of cells are the white blood cells, the leukocytes, and they in turn come in several different flavors, uh, and so when the white blood cell count is up. There might be several different reasons why, um, and they will all uh, raise the total white count. Um, the white blood cells known as neutrophils are uh, usually uh, directed against bacterial infections. If you had a, a skin abscess or a dental infection, you might find your neutrophil count would go up. Let me turn the other way around. Your total white count, which is normally should be 5,000, uh, although vegetarians, it drifts down to 2,500, 3,000, absolutely normal. Uh, 5,000, 7,000, those are normal white blood cell counts. But if you have a bacterial infection, your total white count may go up to 12,000. And, and among that, only uh, uh, about 50% should be neutrophils. You'd find 80, 90%. Uh, would be neutrophils of your white count of 17,000. Clearly, there's a bacterial infection. 
uh, appendicitis, things like that will cause that. But that's not what happens in rheumatoid arthritis. There's a different type of cell. Uh, these are usually called, these are lymphocytes. And uh, they can go up in response to viral infections. They have a cousin type of white cell called monocytes. Um, and the lymphocytes and monocytes, they can go up in response to immune reactions and viral infections, which is, gets us more towards what rheumatoid arthritis is. And occasionally during an acute phase, when someone first comes down with uh, a rip-roaring hot case of rheumatoid arthritis, ooh, they get a rise, uh, an elevation of their white blood cell count can go up to 8, 10, 12,000. And most of them are lymphocytes or monocytes, so a sign that the immune system is very upset about something. And those are the common types of white cell elevations that we see. But again, that's usually with the acute uh, inflamed episodes. But as we all know, the rheumatoid arthritis can be this low-grade chronic percolating discomfort in the background. And by the time the condition settles into that phase, uh, the white blood cells have kind of made a little bit of peace with it. And, and their numbers settle back down to the, quote, normal range of 4,000, 6,000. And so the folks with the chronic long-standing rheumatoid arthritis commonly uh, have normal white blood cell counts. So uh, in the case of this particular condition, it implies an acute flare-up, but it's not a good index as far as these, the chronic severity, how severe the disease really is, whether it's causing much damage. You're not going to see that reflected in the white blood cell count per se. Okay. Um, what about if we just take a case of low white blood cell count? Um, what mm -hmm. might that be? Right. This is a fascinating subject because it came to my attention, oh, 25 years ago when I first started caring for people who were on purely plant-based diets. I uh, was taking care of a lot of vegan patients. And once or twice a year, I would get, I still get a call from a patient or a, a doctor, a family doctor, about this patient where, who's got impending bone marrow failure because their white blood cell count has fallen down to 2,000. Clearly, there's something terrible happening in the bone marrow. And I initially got alarmed, but in recent years, it's become very clear there's nothing wrong with these people at all. And there's a number of uh, lessons that I think are very instructive. And there's twofold lessons, one having to do with the actual cause, uh, of the uh, of the white blood cell count elevation, as well as uh, as how we interpret it uh, as normal. So, as far as what's really going on, what I think is this: what is happening is this. <clears throat> um, all it's important for people to understand that when they look at their blood test results and they get their complete blood count, their CBC back, and they look over in the right hand column, they're going to see. Uh, the head of the counts is range of normal values, and there's two numbers with the, connected by a dash, the lower limit and the upper limit of normal. And we accept this. Okay, that's normal. But it's very important for your listeners to understand that the population of folks from which those blood tubes are drawn are standard Western American folks we're eating the standard Western diet, and that includes eating a piece of meat basically with every meal, three times a day, bacon and eggs for breakfast or a cheeseburger for lunch or chicken for dinner. And three times a day, uh, animal muscle is, is, is uh, disappearing down their throat. 
Well, if you drill down in that, you understand that this meat, all meat, comes from the slaughterhouse, obviously, even organic meat. And because the animals, whether they're cows or pigs or chickens or veal calves, whatever they are, they are eviscerated, their intestinal tracts are removed, are taken out. And in the doing of that act, um, the intestinal bacteria slop all over the cutting surfaces of the slaughterhouse. And, and all um, slaughterhouse surfaces have a, have a thin film of uh, bacteria from the animal's intestines. And um, these bacteria inevitably coat every piece of meat that comes out of the slaughterhouse. You can culture uh, these intestinal bacteria off the surface of the chicken breast or the, or the steak. Why am I bothered saying this? Because when these red blood, when these white, let me try it again. When these bacteria from the uh, in animal's intestines, uh, when they die, when they break apart, their cell walls, the outer boundary of, of the cells, uh, as that uh, structure breaks apart, it produces molecules uh, called endotoxin. Ooh, this is nasty stuff. Uh, endotoxin will injure your gut wall. It makes the gut leaky. It sets off inflammatory reactions. And it raises your white blood cell count. Uh -huh. Well, it turns out also that endotoxin molecules are heat stable. So cooking the burger does not destroy the endotoxin. So three times a day, our, uh, our omnivorous friends, colleagues, and patients are eating endotoxin and giving their bone marrow a little shot of this molecule that sets off a molecular alarm that tells the bone marrow there's infection uh, loose in the bloodstream. Send out your white blood cells. And the bone marrow obliges. And as a result, people eating the standard meat-based diet are giving themselves little jolts of endotoxin three times a day. And as a result, their white blood cell count is elevated chronically. And this is taken as normal. But realize when you see the term range of normal values, that is normal in the mathematical sense. The norm, ask any mathematician, the norm is the midpoint of a span of numbers. It has nothing to do with health. It's just the midpoint of a span of numbers. And yes, that is the range of normals. And that is that value is normal, but does not equal healthy. <clears throat> and we have to realize that when people adopt a plant-based diet, and they stop jolting their bone marrow with endotoxin three times a day. As the months and years go by, the, the white blood cell count starts drifting downward to yeah. 2,500, and that's really normal. The, the immune system is not alarmed about anything. That's really what it's supposed to be. But the family doctors are not aware of this phenomenon. They get all upset. They think the bone marrow is failing. No, actually, that's what a normal plant-eating human being should run uh, as a peripheral white count. It's about 2,500. That's all they need. So uh, so, now, so people eating your kind of diet, they should not concern uh, if their white count dips dip below 3,000, as long as there's no infections or anything else happening in their body. So uh, that's why that, that lowish white count is actually, it's a good thing. It's a sign of health as far as I'm concerned. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. That was fantastic. All right. Okay, so now what Dr. Clapper is pointing mostly towards here is the white cell count, and mm -hmm. that's what he was talking about there. Uh, was it the white cell count that was worrying your 
rheumatologist the most that was dropping because that's the one where you normally got get sent off to the hematologist and they want to run these you know uh, bone uh, biopsies to find out if your bones are producing the white cells do you recall if it was that primarily that was worrying your rheumatologist and um, how are those levels now of your white cells your red cells and and uh, platelets and so on well, what was worrying him was the the decline over time of all three. The fact that I my anemic and the white blood cell and the red blood cell, because at first it was really just the red blood cell, you know, and didn't show any signs of anemia, but I was almost borderline. And then the next quarter he would do blood work and then he would see a, a additional decrease and say the red blood cell. And then we got to the white blood cell. So by the time we start seeing the decrease in the white blood cell, he said the fact that all three of those over the, the, the period, looking at the trend, all three of them are consistently decreasing, I'm at an alarm. And so that is why we went to the hematologist. It wasn't per se just the one, it was all three of them over t- the time frame of like uh would have been six months i guess the decline of all mm. three does that make sense it totally makes sense and i want to reassure people that rarely do we have the issue across the board of all three dietarily uh dr mm-hmm. clapper will, uh, in his video that we we just played is talking about white cell count and he has since told us, my family and I, because Melissa, after she had her COVID vaccine, her white cell count dropped because of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So my wife, Melissa, and I set up a telehealth appointment through plant-based telehealth with Dr. Clapper, and he actually gave us the same uh, explanation as, as, as the video that we shared. And so in that explanation, he said that it is it is uncommon, he said, but maybe once or twice a year, someone comes to him and says, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that, that their doctor is really worried about someone going to, uh, is coming to them and the doctor's really worried because of the white cell count. And so that's, that's the way he uh, described it to us and reassured Melissa that her white cell count would slowly restore after you know the vaccine response was was slowly sort of being eliminated mm-hmm. from her body and sure enough last two blood tests uh, this she only had one the other day and then she had one uh, a few weeks ago we're watching it fairly closely and it's been six months now right they dropped mm-hmm. for a long time but hers now back up into normal range again just as he predicted uh-huh. And she hasn't gone off and eaten any other thing, any other sort of different uh-huh. foods. Her vaccine-associated, you know, timing of the white cells dropping uh, seems to have just been a slow sort of restoration uh, from uh-huh. then. But look, uh, her recommendation from her local primary chief uh, doctor was to go to the hematologist, get a biopsy uh-huh. of the bone, uh-huh. all this stuff, and. Uh-huh. And really, it's just as as uh, as the explanation exists. So it is, um, and, so and those tests like, are so expensive too. They're I they're imagine. very expensive. I just you know I was glad that you know I could go, but that test was you know it's expensive, and you know it's just one of those things where 
having, you know, the knowledge to know that this is what's happening to my body versus, you know, um, another medication or, you know, all these added tests. I mean, that's that's just golden for me. It was just golden for me because I'd rather give my body the food and the nutrients it needs. It's doing what it's supposed to do. My levels are good now. It, it was just golden for me. It's worrying though, isn't it? You know, and this is a, the, the doctor did the right thing in my view, just my humble opinion uh-huh. is um, when, when things are looking, you know, trending in the wrong direction, it's best to, to pull pharmaceuticals out of the picture and just try and normalize things uh-huh. because nobody wants these plummeting blood, blood results. And given that they're normal now, it does sound like there was a contribution from the you know, the medications you were taking, it wasn't just the white cell count. As I was going to say that these other, the, the platelets, the anemia, the red cell count, all of this stuff, that's not normal to change with the plant-based diet. Um, and as Dr. Clapper emphasizes, it's only occasionally, rarely does he also see, you know, a, a white cell count that's alarming a doctor and the doctor then uh, you know you is is very highly concerned so anyway well done Larry. getting all that under control it's very worrying when you're going through these things and you and doctor everyone's doing the right thing get tested take make changes mm-hmm. we don't want numbers going down off the cliff that's dangerous and worrying so well done for getting all the, the tests done so uh, how were you feeling on the Humira? Did the Humira make you feel uh, symptom-free? No. And the methotrexate made me feel bad in a different kind of way than the Humira, but the Humira also made me feel bad. I would have shooting joint pains with the Humira. I mean, at random, it didn't matter whether it was, I mean, I tried to to follow the trend of when I would, you know, what I was feeling like every day. And so, you know, he asked me, the doctor, he asked me, he's like, well, you know, is it in the morning time that you get these, you know, shooting pains? Is it in the evening, afternoon? Can you kind of, and, it, and it's at random and it's in random places. It might be my finger and then 15 minutes. It might be my knee. It might be my ankle. It might be my shoulder, but it was always in the joint. And it was just like this out of nowhere, this stabbing, sharp pain. And in addition to that, I just overall felt bad. And so, you know, I, I just, I was like, I, I just can't take it. You know, I, I cannot take it. And at that time, you know, we were scheduling with the hematologist anyway, and he really didn't want as much as possible to have any drugs in my system just so we could get a good reading on, on, you know, what it was actually going on inside my bone marrow. So that is why we just discontinued the Humira. And when I went back, he's like, yeah, well, you don't have to go back on that. For one, it makes you feel too bad. Two, we don't want you having, you know, sharp pains through your joints, but it was just, I could just tell it was Um, As the hematologist told me, she said, you know, when we start messing with your immune system, it doesn't like it. And I said, you're telling me. And she said, yeah, so you're 
you know, you're on these different drugs and he's trying to find the one that works for you, but we're messing with your immune system. So we've got to get it just right. And she was really gracious and giving me um, lots of information, but that Humira, I just couldn't. It just made me feel bad in the worst kind of way. So the only drug that's really made me feel better was the Plaquenil. Now, even though I was feeling bad on the methotrexate and the Humira, doesn't mean that they were not be, have some benefit to them. You know, they, I'm sure they were beneficial in some way, but my overall feeling and my joint pain and my, my swelling, I mean, it was still, it was still very, very prevalent. Okay. Let's talk about what works for you. Tell us your routine that works best and tell us what you think is the highest, well, in order of priority, let's say you want to build someone who's in a bad way and you're going to tell them, this is what you should do. You mentioned the juices with emphasis earlier. And walk us through, you've got to do the juicing. Is it some exercise? Do you have a daily routine with stress reduction? Um, uh, what's your diet look like? And which foods do you find are most healthy and helpful for pain reduction? I want you to share this with our audience. Well, after reading um, your book, and I, I, I keep it handy to refer to, the one thing that I had to first do is get my mind right. So your quote of, um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm probably, I'm going to mess this up verbatim, but as far as the pain of the regret, discipline versus regret, once I read that, Every morning when I wake up, that's the first thing I think about. The pain of discipline versus the pain of regret. You have a choice. And I just started telling myself that every day. That's what I would start with versus how was I thinking? What am I thinking about? What are my thoughts? And so from there, I would go straight to the kitchen and juice up some cucumber and celery juice. And actually, um, we have a, a, a yoga class that comes on our public uh, broadcasting station early mornings. And I'll start my day that way. And that's what, you know, because I don't really wake up with joint pain. I never really woke up with joint pain. And that's always something that my doctor would ask me, you know, in the mornings when you get up, are you stiff? Do you have joint pain? No, my joint pain started after I got up and started moving, which was, I guess, not what most people experience, but I never woke up with joint pain. It, it was once I got moving, then my knees started hurting and then my fingers and, and all of that. So I start with my cucumber, celery, yoga. The foods I eat are sweet potatoes, um, are my best friend. Sweet potatoes and I just leafy greens. Kale is one of my favorites. And I eat vegetable soup every day. Every day I have soup. And so um, I bought a Vitamix. You know, I got the Instapots and, you know, I, I watch Chef AJ's videos and, you know, I make my soup every day or and it'll last a few days. I bought some um, miso from, you know, Melissa's uh, on the Patterson plan. And I got the two different kinds and I put that in there every day and I eat soup every day. And I eat sal lots of leafy greens and salads. Yeah. Can you tell us what you put into your soup? Mostly leafy greens, but I have um, like two different types of kale. 
in there, uh, the regular curly leaf and the Jacinto kale. And I put um, spinach in there. And then I have like green beans. I try to stay on the green side. Everything that's green, cabbage, you know, cabbage, the greens, I, I just throw in the pot. Sometimes I put a little bit of corn just to get a little bit of sweetness. One of the other major things that I did stop doing, I think that was a major asset, was when I um, heard you say um, about salt. I try to follow the salt-free, oil-free, you know, um, sugar-free, dairy-free, all that anyway. But the type of salt, you know, I quit buying regular salt and I used the um, Celtic salt. So I put a pinch of that in there. Um, I try to stay away from the tomatoes. And that's that's what I make. And I just vegetables, you know, green beans, lima beans, mostly cabbage and leafy greens, uh, collard greens, sometimes um, greens. So your soup isn't a vegetable soup, like having potato, like hearty root veggies with potatoes and uh, pumpkins and carrots uh -uh. and onions and so on. No, not much. No, I do put onions in there, but. I don't really, I'm, tomatoes don't bother, uh, potatoes don't bother me. I never really have a, I know they're a nightshade, but I don't never really, I've never had a, a problem with potatoes, but I just want those greens. And that's a good way for me to get them in. Potatoes will kind of make me, you know, you know, full. And I don't want to be too full that I don't get those greens in. <laughs> so it's mostly um, the leafy greens, green beans, a little bit of corn, lima beans. A uh, few peas, but mostly cabbage, spinach, and kale. Yeah. You mentioned coffee before, and in the process of writing my book, I've spent far too long looking at uh, scientific publications and and researching. Uh, but one that I wanted to bring to your attention and and our audience's attention is a a study that was done in year two thousand, and this study, which is called coffee consumption rheumatoid factor and the risk of rheumatoid arthritis. It was an epidemiological study, which means it's done over like a retrospective look at, at uh, data that already exists. that doesn't require mm -hmm. people to do anything. You're working off, off population data. And uh, a survey of actually uh, 6,809 people showed that there was a, a positive correlation between mm -hmm. the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis and coffee consumption. So it yeah. is a risk factor in the same way that we know that smoking is a risk factor. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the data as to know which one is greater, but I would imagine smoking is greater. But still, uh, that's that's just my guess. Um, but we know that coffee consumption is a risk factor. And so sometimes people will say, well, what about decaf coffee? Well, mm -hmm. uh, let me read from my book here. Decaffeinated coffee is also associated with rheumatoid mm -hmm. arthritis development. A study showed um, women who drank four or more cups of decaffeinated coffee on a daily basis doubled their risk of developing rheumatoid mm -hmm. arthritis compared to those who drink no coffee at all. And that is from a 2002 study called Coffee, Tea and Caffeine Consumption and Risk of Rheumatoid Arthritis Results mm -hmm. from the Iowa Women's Health Study. So, you know, it can be tempting because there are some popular plant-based 
social media people at the moment who are drinking coffee and they are on Instagram and other platforms saying, look, uh, the data on coffee's, you know, uh, fairly good, you know, and I feel fine drinking coffee. Well, I disagree. If you don't, like if there's a risk factor for developing rheumatoid arthritis based on coffee consumption, why? Why would you yeah. add to the risk? It's If you don't have rheumatoid arthritis, go and play your own game. But we've got studies associated with our condition, and mm-hmm. I care in my, my family. Do I need to look after people with inflammatory arthritis? And so there's a couple of studies there that are, that are very important. Did you notice that when you stopped the coffee that you immediately felt better after the couple of days of caffeine withdrawal passed? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think for three reasons. One, just to stop it. Two, to add the celery and cucumber juice. And three, to be drinking more water because your joints need that water. And um, so I was just chugging water. I mean, literally, you know, I mean, seriously, I mean, I was still crawling on the floor during those days. So anything I could do for some relief. So I would just chug water, chug, chug, chug water. I quit the coffee and I would chug the celery and cucumber. And I would say around day three, I mean, I could vastly tell the difference, vastly tell the difference. But now, mind you, you know, I was drinking a good pot of coffee a day, a big pot, and it looked like motor oil. So it was really, really strong. It was full of Splenda. It was full of dairy. You know, it was full of cream. Yeah. So it took a little while, but my body is so super sensitive to drugs and food, which is kind of a, you know, it's a it's a curse, I think, and a blessing um, in a sense, because my body responds quickly. So it's either going to respond bad or it's going to respond good and it's going to do it quickly. And so about the third day, I was like, oh, my God, my, my joints just felt like they exhaled. But another one of your videos with another um, person in the community, she talked about uh, her consumption of honey. And I went from sugar to honey. And I actually had just could not understand why I was still kind of joint pain, crawling on the floor. and. Um, so I, I typed in the in the chat or I sent the message about, you know, my the honey. And um, sure enough, I got a response from your assistant and she said, you know, just back off the honey for a couple of days and see how you do. And thanks to that video with with that um, with that uh, young lady that's in our community, I've learned about honey. So I have not had honey. And in the vast amounts since then, but I had no idea to even consider food sensitivities at that point. And I just thought honey was going to be okay. I'm getting rid of the sugar, but my body does not like large amounts of honey. And I would not have known that had I not, you know, watched uh, that video with, with the other young lady that's in our community. So the food, I've learned to really pay attention as it relates to food sensitivities along the way. So that's another thing that I, that's part of my routine. When you're asking about my routine every day, if I, if I try something new, you know, I, I'm, I'm 
monitoring and, and logging basically how I feel afterwards because my body responds so quickly. It doesn't take long for me. I'm either going to have a flare pretty soon, you know, pretty quickly, or it's going to be okay. And that's, that's just learning how my body reacts and the timing made a lot of difference for me. What do you do now if you do notice that something hasn't worked for you when you've reintroduced it and there is something uh, responding in your joints? What is your get out of jail quick strategy? I go straight back to the basic uh, Patterson plan. I mean, literally, that's that's my because that works. I mean, you know, and you talk about that in the book as well. And so I go straight back to the baseline. And I just even chug more water. And it doesn't, like I said, because my body responds really quickly to something, it doesn't take long for those symptoms to subside. But I have to go back to the baseline. And that's what I do now. I I think, if I'm not mistaken, by the time you introduce the sweet potato soup, which has become one of my favorites, I just, I love sweet potatoes. Always have. I can just eat them plain. I can eat them cold. I can eat them raw. I just love sweet potatoes. So when I change up my soup, you know, I'll make a pot of the sweet potato soup as well as the other soup, just so I can have, you know, the the go-to. And I noticed that my my gut likes how it feels when it gets sweet potatoes. When I take my pre and probiotics, um, I can tell how my gut feels. So Again, back to the baseline, knowing what feels good in my gut, because my gut will tell me, hey, I didn't like that. You're going to have a flare for eating that. I feel it in my gut before I ever feel it in my joints. Mm. I really do. God bless the sweet potato. There are, there are communities in very primitive areas who still mostly just live on sweet potatoes. Um, you know, there are islands, you know, in the Pacific. Uh, some of which I've visited, where uh, people's most of their diet is just a vast majority uh, of sweet potatoes, and often different just types of of you know varieties of sweet potatoes. So these root vegetables yeah. can be extraordinarily sustaining. And Dr. McDougall talks about this, the white potato and how you can almost live off a white potato. And yes, he does. A guy mm-hmm. in Australia who actually prove that by doing eating nothing but potatoes for a year so you know we don't look no need to look too far to find healthy foods Uh, they're simple and affordable and and humble so where does that leave you now what are your what are your plans now brenda and what is your next goal and uh what are you you know working towards here and the areas that you want to improve upon further well i mainly want to stay off the drugs. I mean, I just want to not ever go back on them uh, anymore. Uh, I have a standing order of prednisone, but I don't take it. And he, you know, my roommate asked me, you know, are you taking the prednisone? And I'll say no. And he'll say, well, why? And you know, I said, well, for one, I don't really, my pain is not such that I need to take it and I don't want to get hooked on it. So if I don't need it, I mean, I appreciate that I have it. But again, the pain of discipline far outweighs the pain of regret. So I just don't want to go there. 
because I've been on both sides. I've been on that regret side and and I don't want to go back. So for me going forward, it's to continue, um, you know, maybe testing other foods that I might be able to eat. Like I can remember where I just could not eat tomato, not even a slice of tomato. Well, now I can, you know, but I also know I can't like just go overboard with tomatoes or I know I'm going to have a flare. So just wanting to maintain, you know, where I'm at um, as far as no, no, no medication. How are you with regards to fruits? Because when you said you had a, you know, issue with honey, um, the natural interpretation of that reaction is that it's simple sugars because Uh the the honey is uh you know not bundled with fiber in a in a in a carbohydrate Uh form for example so how are you however with fruits where you do have that natural bond between the sugars and the cellulose which means the body normally finds those foods okay even if simple sugars are a trigger for me the only fruit that if I eat it in a large consumption that will give me an issue is pineapple. I can eat papaya till it comes out of my ears. I can eat mandarin oranges. I can eat just about any fruit. You know, I love papaya. Oh my God, I love papaya. So when it's in season, you know, I'll get it and I put it on my salad. I'll eat it by itself. I mean, it is just just the best. Um, but I noticed like I was making like like a fruit smoothie in the mornings. So I was like, okay, I'm feeling that feeling again, like I do when I consume the honey. What is it? And it was the pineapple. So I can have pineapple. I just have to really be, you know, uh conservative uh with the with it. But any other fruit, I have no problem with fruit, any other fruits. That's just so many different types of fruits, all of which have so many health benefits. It's it, and, mm-hmm. and it's easy, therefore, to also get our large diversity of different types of fiber into our diet because you can literally just have a blueberry, a strawberry, a blackberry, mm-hmm. and each of the fibers are slightly different, aiding to diversify the microbiome. And so it's really, really great that you're able to expand uh out into the into the fruit world um and you know pineapple neither here or there so this is fantastic and the, i think maybe my last question for you is you know not to stereotype but memphis isn't known for its plant-based you know restaurants and plant-based mentality how are you fitting in with uh, your community your friends your family now that you've become plant-based and is there some friction there with people with regards to eating with you? Or has there been some people who've been inspired by you and are thinking about change too? I would say, believe it or not, more so the latter. We do have a community of um, vegans here. We have, uh, there's going to be two vegan festivals um, this summer. There's going, yes. So we have a, a large vegan community. We have a restaurant called uh, Raw Girls. They're two, I think they're sisters. They decided that they wanted to do like a, a, a restaurant with just good whole, you know, whole food and vegan. There's some vegan foods in there as well. And so they have three locations. 
So the community is getting, it's getting there. I, I attended the vegan um, festival last year. I think it was in June or July downtown. It was fabulous. We had lots of vendors. So believe, it's catching on. I was surprised. And I mean, it's definitely wanted and, and it's here. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. As far as my family and friends, um, they're very supportive. Uh, my brother, who you know found your link and and emailed it to me, he does not live here. Um, he's been an avid follow of Dr. McDougal for twenty something years. So uh, he lives in Illinois, and so he and I exchange recipes. You know, Chef AJ, we're probably one of her biggest fans, and we trade her recipes. And um, so I have support with my family in that regard. My friends. Some of them are, they're just very supportive and they're trying themselves to kind of get on this wagon. So, you know, I think the testimony of seeing or the testament of seeing me go through, I think is inspiring to them because they've seen me in agony. And, and I tell them, you know, they just can't believe that I feel so much better. And I'm like, it's because of what I'm eating, y'all. It, I mean, I don't, there's nothing else to say about it. And um, there is, we have a Whole Foods here. We have two locations and uh, it is amazing. Um, we have a Trader Joe's as well. That is catching on. People are buying organic. People are buying more fruits and vegetables. You know, we're in the South. So we do have a lot of, areas even towards the state of Mississippi where there's farms. People are getting into growing whole food agriculture versus, you know, making sure the soil is ready and not contaminated. So it's catching on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of support. And even when I go shopping, I wanted to, to mention this too about my food. Cherries, I found my joints love cherries. And I know you had your experience with unwashed cherries before, but the uh, darker cherries, when I can just eat them just like popcorn, I mean, I literally can just eat a bowl and my joints love it when I eat cherries. Fantastic. Fantastic. And because of that belief that I also had is why I was eating so many of them and stuffing myself with them. It wasn't the cherries, of course. It was the pesticides on them that gave me mm-hmm. the food poisoning. Um, yeah. We recently, and this will be the, probably the final thing before we wrap up, my family and I went out to my sister's house in Orange here, which is about a four-hour drive from our house. It's a little country town, and it's got lots of cherry farms around it. And we went cherry picking. This is only a couple of months ago. And uh, yeah, we loaded up on cherries and our kids love them just as much as I do and my wife. So, um, oh, they're just a brilliant food. So Mm -hmm. if anyone's been a while since they've had a cherry, go out and grab some cherries. They are absolutely delicious. Yeah. Uh, And um, uh, so good for you. Well, Brenda, thank you so much. What a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you you for sharing. Congratulations on how far that you've come with your health. And I will also envision and picture the outcome that you are aiming for and uh, work with you in our support group to make sure you have every possible chance of staying just as well as you are for the months and years ahead. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. 
and you have so many resources. You know, I go there to find, you know, answers to my questions and, you know, I've just kind of navigated my way through those resources and they've been so beneficial uh, for me as well as, you know, just reading and watching the, the testaments of, you know, other people in the community has been just, just beneficial. Yeah. So I appreciate, I appreciate you too, Brian. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.